This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to to non-hunters that it's it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it, Brittany? My name. My, name. Is <laughs> my hair look okay? It's my name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Jess Johnson is the Government Affairs Director for the Wyoming Wildlife Federation. She's a great friend. She's a big believer in blood origins. And I wanted to have a conversation about grizzlies. Grizzlies in Yellowstone, grizzly management, grizzly hunting. And there's only one person that I could think of that would have a very intellectual, hard-hitting conversation and who's actually been in the room and has been fighting for hunters as well as grizzly management in the legislature as well as on the ground. Um, And that's Jess. So enjoy. It's 45 minutes of absolute fact-driven intellectual conversation and discussion that if you're not taking notes and you're not searing this into the back of your brain so that you can have an intelligent conversation about grizzlies in the future you need to be paying attention so enjoy so as i said i'm typically uh, drinking a different kind of brown liquid um, on these podcasts, but I'm drinking coffee. You're drinking coffee. What is that thing on the side of your coffee mug? 
It says actually, my mom is a uh, potter, and this is a coffee mug that she made. Uh, she did a whole series of them, and they're sort of half animal, half human uh, little caricatures. But the point that she did is uh, she sold each of these mugs and gave a large part of the profit um, that she made on them to wildlife crossing work. So all the caricatures on the side of the mug are animals that we often take for granted that we also often see on the side of the road that didn't make it across. And uh, mm. the mug that I stole have is the mule deer <laughs> one because I fell in love with her little caricature and her ears. So, <laughs> Oh, that is amazing. Uh, Jesse Johnson, welcome to the Blood Origins podcast. Finally, Sheesh, we should have had you on ages ago, but I apologize. <laughs> uh, I'm excited to be here. Well, your, your name came up in a podcast that uh, we have recorded with a now friend of yours, Sarah Roberts, uh, that you met out, out in, was it Budapest, Hungary? Yeah. yeah, we met in Budapest as part of the International Journalism Symposium. And she could not say more flattering things about how you as a hunter were expressing... Uh, your opinions to a non-hunter. She is a non-hunter. And even further, you could almost characterize Sarah as being someone who has engaged in the conservation side of wildlife on the, I wouldn't even say the anti side of things. She was a grizzly bear researcher. She was, she did things with sharks. She's done all sorts of things in the wildlife conservation realm, but that were, have nothing to do with hunting. Fair character characterization. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think, you know, she, she described herself to me as like, I'm an unapologetic carnivore, but um, that always hasn't meant that I've known exactly where the food's coming from. That is an amazing statement. And I actually may use that as her intro. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> she was she was such an amazing human to uh, get to know. And I, I I'll say, you know, to be a hunter and talking to a non-hunter, uh, she's exactly the kind of person that like you hope you're talking to, but also just in like this insatiable curiosity that she has and this willingness to be challenged in beliefs. You know, it's I think that's actually a very rare quality and it was something I greatly respected in her. Isn't that the truth? Wouldn't what would wildlife conservation look like? if people were curious, as you just mentioned, and not afraid of discussion in which there wasn't really a, I'm going to, I'm out to change your opinion, and two, that at the end of the day, you have your opinion over here, I have my opinion over here, we're going to have a beer, and we're still going to be friends. Yep, exactly. It's, it's you know, and that's a large portion of my actual job is figuring out how to do that. So. <laughs> well, Jesse, give us a, uh, an introduction to who you are and what you do. Well, I am the government affairs director for the Wyoming Wildlife Federation, which is a sort of fancy way of saying I am a lobbyist in the state of Wyoming um, that speaks on behalf of hunters, conservation and wildlife. Um, and I would, I would actually say that we speak for wildlife and conservation through the voice of hunters. Um, so that's sort of how we approach uh, approach 
problems, issues, bills, legislation, and things like that. And, and I would sort of caveat that with the fact that we're still wildlife first. Um, and if that sometimes means that hunters takes a back seat, we understand that to have hunting, we have to have wildlife first. 100%. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, the, the, the nomenclature of wildlife federation regardless of what is in front of it, Wyoming, mm -hmm. national, you often don't associate the Wildlife Federation with hunting or mm -hmm. being a pro-hunting slate organization. But I think in one of our first conversations that we ever had, uh, you expressed that, you know, the Wyoming Wildlife Federation is a chapter of the national, but is almost autonomous to the chapter, mm -hmm. autonomous to the, to the national body, correct? Yeah, so, you know, it, we function as a true federation underneath National Wildlife Federation, which means that we're entitled to our own opinions and our own stances. Uh, however, when all of our opinions and stances line up, um, we all work together and pull forward at the same way. So it's this ability to have a really powerful partnership uh, across the country with all of the other, you know, 50 affiliates underneath the National Wildlife Federation. But it's also the ability that, say, in the instance of like, Grizzlies. Different different hunting or grizzly opinions. Uh, Wyoming Wildlife Federation can have a different opinion than National Wildlife Federation. And it's the understanding that sometimes the locals have to have autonomy in their opinions. So I, I purposely asked you on here today because I think that you're one of the people that could have a very intellectual, very intelligent, very measured a discussion about grizzlies um, and I think you could handle me pushing and probing and <laughs> and, and prodding um, around the topic and so uh, let me ask this question to start us right off the gate um, are you okay with grizzlies being hunted I am in fact I was one of the people that uh, put in for a tag uh, when Wyoming offered a hunt up and uh, unfortunately, I was not within the 22 that got drawn. I was number 102 or something like that. But uh, it was... Did those 22 was, actually hunt? No. So, um, you know, the, the hunt was proposed and the regulations were rolled out. There was a ton of work done behind uh, putting these regulations out and, and getting it right and getting all the sideboards on it so that, you know, we were sort of within the range of... of uh, our best behavior, so to speak. Um, but right before, I think it was about a month before the hunt was slated to happen as per regulation, um, the federal judge re-challenged the rule and relisted the grizzlies. Is there a, um, has anybody, is there, is there, what does the best available science say about grizzly bear populations in say Wyoming? And maybe we can go from there and sort of expand it out. Yeah, and absolutely. I guess, um, and and for those of you listening, obviously, where I know and what I'm talking about is going to be the greater Yellowstone ecosystem population. Um, there's, I think it's six, might be eight different populations that are listed under the Endangered Species Act. Um, and they're, each one is a distinct population segment. So when we're talking about grizzly bears, I'm only going to be talking about Wyoming, Montana, Idaho uh, And that's population. when you get people say when people say DPS, that is that yeah. distinct population segment. 
Yep. Yep. And so I'm talking about the DPS. Here's, here's all of the acronyms you're going to hear. The DPS inside the DMA, which is the demographic monitoring area. Um, and, that, and that's all laid out in the legislation of the Endangered Species Act. And so what I know and the politics that I am familiar with and the ability to talk on it is all based around the greater Yellowstone ecosystem. That being said, um, what we estimate which is an incredibly, incredibly conservative estimate, uh, is that there are about 700 bears within the GYE, so the greater Yellowstone ecosystem. The more likely, if we were to not be as conservative estimate, is probably closer to 1,100. Um, that estimate is conservative on purpose. We would rather err way too low and have way more bears than we thought, then to flip flop that and have, you know, estimate high um, and, and not be not be hitting that benchmark. And, and a lot of this uh, monitoring comes from understanding how bears move within landscapes, knowing that sows mm -hmm. have about a 30 kilometer radius and that boars have about a hundred kilometer radius. It mm -hmm. takes in citizen sightings, it takes in flyovers and counts, it takes in collaring data. So they're using every available piece of uh, sort of wildlife management and wildlife oversight to make this uh, 700 sort of recommendation that, that we are there at that. And, and the other side of that is, is that we have grizzly bears way outside the demographic monitoring area now that are confirmed um, whether that means on a camera from a black bear hunter uh, in way Southern Wyoming or elsewhere. So we're knowing that what's happening is that carrying capacity of the landscape, which is how many animals that landscape can support uh, is getting reached because the bears are right. come, they're pouring out of this area looking for more places to live and more food. Mm -hmm. Why the discrepancy of almost 40% from 700 to 1100? What, what is the conservative measure that's reducing it by 40%? You know, I think it's just the inability to, uh, if it's not an actively collared bear, to be absolutely certain that it is a new bear and not mm -hmm. a, a repeat sighting. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. you know, if, they, if there's, say, a sow that is uncollared in an area, and we know that they have about a 30 kilometer radius and maybe she pops up a couple different times. Um, maybe she's a little bit outside that 30 kilometer radius. Uh, maybe it's like d two different months. They're going to count that as the same bear. Even it may not be, but they just don't. It's so hard to tell gotcha. that they would rather count it as the same bear Mm -hmm. um, and keep it conservative rather than being like that was three different cells. Um, and, and sometimes that's just you know, we can't put a collar on every grizzly out there. And, and um, we can't have a, a game and fish agent for every grizzly sure. bear out there to confirm that they're all different or all the same. Yeah, for sure. All right. So 700 conservative measure to about 1100 bears in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem, the GYE, uh, when they were listed as endangered, what was the population objective? Uh, as created by Fish and Wildlife Service to say that they had, you know, reached a sustainable level and could be delisted. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm in a ballpark it because I don't have the number fully in front of me. I think it was 500. Uh, okay. Might have been 400. I think it was 500. Um, 
And really, you know, the Endangered Species Act is an imperfect piece of legislation. It it is a layout for a way to get to recovery. Um, that being said, no no piece of legislation. I'm a lobbyist. No piece of le legislation is perfect. Um, there's always things and always amendments that can make things better. Uh, there's also amendments that can make things worse. Uh, but as that they have changed, um, and as we have gained more knowledge in science, as we have sort of figured out where the sociological and political acceptance of grizzly bears are, uh, that number changed uh, through through U.S. Fish and Wildlife uh, work and and sort of readjusting of the rule. That number then then changed up to 700, and that that was kind of looking at um, available food source. That was looking at uh, the ability for political and social politics to support that number of bears. Uh, that was a lot of outside pressure as well. Um, and as that number changed, uh, you know, it's, it's, I think it's fine to change a number once or twice if you're looking at recovery and you're gaining new insight and new science. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but at some point there, there has to be a like recovery number that we've reached because otherwise what's the point of having the Endangered Species Act? What's the point of listing them at all? And the longer that an animal stays on this endangered list and the more that that goal keeps getting moved out, the less effective the ESA is for other animals mm -hmm. that desperately need it. So, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're looking at sage grouse in a population area that uh, would be catastrophic if we listed them under the endangered species list. And because of the political sort of headbutting that happens between development and sage grouse habitat. Um, but if we keep eroding at this and, and we never have that as a tool, um, sure, the grizzly bear is going to be great in the, you know, GYE, but what other animal is going to have fallout from that, whether it's the black footed ferret or the bumblebee or, you know, the greater sage grouse. And um, obviously mm -hmm. sage grouse is not listed, but it's, it's right. teetering on that edge right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it, it is an imperfect piece of legislation. It has such great motives, mm -hmm. but has been politicized so much and has been used as a baton mm -hmm. against especially with the big charismatic species, right? You don't really hear about ESA outside of grizzlies and outside of wolves, let's be honest. No. Um, that's the, and, that, and, and those are the champion species that drive a lot of fundraising um, on the other side of the mm -hmm. aisle. And it's, you know, it's funny how if they're doing well, it's bad for business. Yep. It's, it's one of those things, I think, as a human, you know, we are, we are predators. We, we occupy a lot like a bear. We're an omnivore. So we occupy, um, part, part predator, uh, part herbivore. So part carnivore, part herbivore. And I think a lot of what inspires our fanaticism, whether it's in a negative or positive way about bears is a recognition that we're very similar to them. And, mm -hmm. Um, our family structures, you know, when you see a mama bear with two cubs um, and there's no daddy bear, obviously are different, but the mama bear is very relatable. I think for a lot of mothers out there, and it's mm -hmm. just, uh, we see a lot of our, our like, it, you know, like calls to like, and, and whether it's something that creates fear 
or whether it's something that creates a, a sort of that gooey spot in the heart, um, bears inspire it, I would say, more so than any animal out there. Have you read David Guaman's Monster of God? I have, yes, yes. Yeah. It's probably the best book around this idea of alpha predators and sort of our intrinsic link into alpha predators and sort of why we have this fascination with alpha predators. Is it like you, this like soft spot inside of us? Is it this instinctual DNA that is in constant competition with this alpha predator because we were once its prey and mm -hmm. now we almost have this like leg up on alpha predators? Uh, is it that there is that drive for competition? We were after the same prey base for so long. And there's just it's, something there. It's instinctual, you know, and I would say it's, it rests in the lizard brain of humans. Um, and it's something that like to remember that when, when we start talking about, you know, policy and legislation in its best form is without emotion because it is based in science and, and science should not be biased uh, by anything but you know telling a person not to be biased is like being like stop living <laughs> um and so the recognition of your own bias when you start looking at policy and how you feel about it is such an important part of figuring out how to take a stance on something is to be like you know okay i, I do you know I'm somebody that I want bears on the landscape. I want to see grizzly bears out there. I'm a hunter. I don't mind hunting in grizzly bear ha like habitat. I was out this weekend and shot my deer in the middle of grizzly bear habitat. I was walking over big footprints and I had the creepy crawlies and all the hair was standing up on my neck. But it was also like one of those things where you're like, I this is a whole landscape. It's wholesome. Mm -hmm. We want to have those bears there. Mm -hmm. That being said, like when you're looking at policy and understanding that how strong and and how uh, a good piece of legislation has to last a long amount of time, which means it needs to have compromise as part of it. Right. Um, every everybody has to get something out of it okay. for it to last a long time. Otherwise, you're always going to have a crew that's fighting it. And that's when legislation starts eroding and when policy starts eroding is when mm -hmm. you don't have that compromise. You don't have that everybody at the table and has sat and agreed to this. And, um, you know, when you have that, it's, it's really hard to keep those biases off. <laughs> Do you think that um, in your interactions with hunters, with legislators, what is the sentiment? Because obviously I have my opinion, you have your opinion, but is there, what is the general sentiment that you come across on whether they would want, they want bears on the landscape or they don't want bears on the landscape? I have yet to have a conversation with anybody that has outright said, I don't want bears in the state of Wyoming. I've never heard that. Um, the, the more common sentiment that I'm, I have heard is a deep frustration in the inability to have the tools to live with bears on the landscape and um, looking for that ability to cohabitate in a landscape with large predators, um, especially understanding that it, in a lot of these areas, we've gone two generations without large predators on the landscape now. And so the, the knowledge has been lost, the, the, maybe the patience and the being used to having large predators on the landscape has been lost. 
Um, and so there's the deep frustration that comes with learning new things, having change mm -hmm. and, and not having the tools or maybe the, the flexibility to deal with it. And um, that, that I think is where a very deep sentiment of frustration is coming from, especially in the politicians of Wyoming and the people that are on the ground living with bears in their backyard. And, and it doesn't limit that. I don't think that means that there's a hatred of grizzly bears. It's just a frustration of trying to figure out how to live with them when you're a little right. bit handicapped. Yeah. 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 You know, it's, <clears throat> It, it, it dovetails into the idea of the hunt, right? The hunt being cancelled, the hunt being, you know, the federal judge pulling it. Um, and the idea that hunting, you know, I don't know, sometimes you hear a lot of people saying, you know, it, it's, almost the, it's almost the worst offenders in the hunting community that you put a post up about wolves or post up about grizzlies and you and you say and you say that i've never heard someone say i don't want bears on the landscape but then you've got the guy who comes into the post or, the, or, or girl comes in the post going kill them all yeah and it's like really and it's almost like so this idea of death by a thousand cuts is what I, where i'm trying to go here is that it's like if wolf like for instance the wolves in wisconsin i don't want to start talking about wolves because we're talking about grizzlies okay because this will <laughs> dive into a rabbit hole right now <laughs> But the judge, like, for instance, the judge said, I'm not canceling the hunt. I'm just giving you a quota of zero to get your ducks in a row. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it was this like huge blow up of like, they're taking our rights away. And I was like, no, they're not technically taking your rights away. It's still, we can still hunt them, but it, there's going to be a compromise, as you said, that's needed. Right. Oh, absolutely. Um, no. So it's, it's this idea that. And this is where I say what I'm trying to get at, and I guess I'm just I'm beating around the bush here, that if a hunt had to happen for grizzlies, I think we have the know-how, we have the education, we have this like innate ability to say, let's do it right, like Missouri just did for the black bear hunt. Mm -hmm. Let's do it right. Let's put the quota in place. Let's make sure that we don't overshoot the quota because all we're doing is shooting ourselves in the foot if we don't do it right. Absolutely. And, you know, I would say looking at the hunt that Wyoming proposed, and, and I guess I want to preface this discussion with the fact that I, the people that work on grizzly bears in the state of Wyoming are some of the most caring, incredible people. Dr. Dan Thompson, who is the head of trophy game in this state, um, has, he's two PhDs. He's de sort of dedicated his life to making sure that there are grizzly bears on this landscape and the people, his predecessor, Dave Moody, who came before him and those that work underneath him are, are people that have spent 50 years to make sure that we have bears in this state and, and they get so malaligned because they are going by the science and talking about mm -hmm. how this is going to happen and putting parameters on it that, that both sides end up picking at them and, so I would say that everything that I'm about to say comes from a deep, deep place of respect for the Wyoming Game and Fish Department and the work that they have done. That being said, no, you know, hindsight is 2020. Um, and when we proposed the grizzly bear hunt, um, I would say problem number one is that Wyoming still categorizes them as trophy game. That is, that is what they are called underneath the regulations. And I think that trophy is a deeply problematic word to put in regulations, especially uh, in relation to a predator. 
that mm-hmm. has a lot of emotion, you know, like the mm-hmm. charismatic grizzly or the mm-hmm. wolf. Um, so it's just begging for an issue. It's begging for an issue. Uh, the sort of second part of that is that Wyoming has no wanton waste rule in place for bears and lions, which are very edible creatures. And so the requirement is only that they take the head and hide. So calling it that it is trophy game and then you only have to take the head and hide, I think, is a sort of grievous, optically problematic, if not ethically problematic mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. thing to then roll out a grizzly bear hunt around. Um, now I'm not saying that had we changed those two things, the grizzly bear hunt would have gone ahead. I think there's a lot of other emotions flying around a lot of this and a lot of other things happening, but I'm saying that hunters and, and we, we could have sort of maybe buttoned our shirts up a little tighter and done a little better on the optically sort of communication side of it prior to doing this hunt. Um, the other side of it is that general idea that we all need to work on yeah you know just the idea of like let's just keep our shirts clean on this let's let's present you know let's the button up with the bow tie let's put our best foot forward and 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 you know hopefully then you know at least we're taking the highest ground possible and so there was a lot of problems with that um i think it it sort of left our necks out pretty exposed uh, just mm-hmm. to, in the communications department. Um, and then, you know, we... Well, it's tough to answer those questions, right? And they're so simple to be asked by the other yeah. side. Well, it's like, a trophy animal and yeah. you're only taking the the hide and the skull. So what are you actually hunting these things for? Exactly. And, it, and you're like, oh man, like it's such a simple statute change of which for those of you out there, I am trying to get that statute changed uh, in the state of Wyoming. Maybe it'll happen this budget session, maybe the next one, but... Uh, Call those legislators if you're in Wyoming and let them know that you're okay with the wanton waste rule being extended to the bear and lion. We really need it to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but this idea also that, you know, we're going to start getting into the nuances of this and and that we proposed uh, a mortality of 22 grizzlies. Um, and that Who's was the Wyoming Game and Fish okay. Department. So okay. they said we can take up to... 22 grizzlies within the uh, demographic monitoring area, the DMA. And that number was pulled from, uh, it's called compensatory mortality. I'm going to try and describe this in a way that's not as complicated as it is. But it's this idea that you can take 22 grizzlies out of this population and still have a population that not only stays the same, but grows. Right. So, so this is a number that is not going to inhibit the growth of the population of the grizzly bear in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem. The other parts of this is it's not just any 22 grizzlies. These 22 grizzlies were spread out over eight different regions within the state of Wyoming, none of which were anywhere near the national parks. There was a buffer zone around the national parks even. So like even the state and BLM and forest service land that was outside Mm -hmm. of the national park, they drew a huge buffer zone around to make sure that we weren't Mm -hmm. quote unquote killing famous grizzlies Um, Mm -hmm. and, and killing grizzlies that were in the park. And, Mm -hmm. and so this was looking at sort of the, the outer reaches of the demographic monitoring area, looking at the places that were having political and social pressure and problem bears, Mm -hmm. um, 
within these eight regions, each of these regions had a quota and the, there was a female quota and a male quota. And that being said, only one female from each of those regions had an ability to be taken. And if one female was taken, that region was closed. Like you couldn't keep hunting male grizzlies. So if that one female had been taken in that area, even though if there case. were five just allowable, case. just in case, right. because Perfect. it is so hard to tell sexes between mm -hmm. male and female bears without cubs. The other side of that is there was zero allowability for a female with dependent young. You could not hunt or shoot that. It was a really major thing if you did. Uh, also couldn't shoot dependent young, obviously. Um, and then the other sides of it is in a lot of these regions, uh, they, the hunter would be required to carry an in-reach. Uh, so the little GPS communication devices in with Communicate them. Communicate immediately immediately that they had a bear down so that they could adjust the quotas. You were required to report physically within 24 hours of killing the bear to the Wyoming Game and Fish Department so that they could verify it. They could take the samples that they needed from it and, and just make sure that everything is on the up and up. Um, it was on the hunter to make sure that they knew where the quotas were. There was a 1-800 number that you could call and they would give you 24 hour updates on what's like where that quota was. Um, and there was a set time between when you could hunt it and that, you know, the other side of that being that like, it's in the fall, you're not doing it. Like when there's like sow grizzlies with itty bitty little baby cubs out there. Um, the idea of this hunt is to focus the, the mortality on the younger males really, or the old, old males that are walking around eating cubs um, mm -hmm. so that they can propagate faster. Um, and the idea being that like this population can handle this level of a hunt. Um, and and the, then the other thing that I think, you know, was really important is that they said no baiting inside the DMA. So Wyoming allows bear baiting for black bear hunting. Um, it's very regulated. You have to report on where it goes and what you're using. You can't use artificial really anything. So you're not like just mm -hmm. throwing a bunch of donuts out. Uh, but because of this grizzly bear hunt, they started really tightening, tightening up the regulations saying no baiting in this area. Like you can't shoot a grizzly over bait. We don't want to incentivize them for food. Um, and so there was a lot of that sort of regulation and forethought going into it as well. You also couldn't trap, you couldn't snare, you couldn't hunt with dogs. Um, and then you so couldn't why, use... why didn't we hear all this? Because you're blowing my mind, right? You're absolutely blowing my mind about all of the things that we self-imposed. And, and when I say self-imposed, it's the Game and Fish Commission doing things the right way, the ethical yeah. way, the humane way to make sure sustaining populations, all the things that we talk about. You know, I think part of that is is that, you know, we have not, as hunters, um, historically been very good about talking about our regulations and our science. Uh, we very quickly go to a defense mode that is like, well, it's because conservation says I can do it. And you're kind of like, but that's like, that changes no one's mind. Um, like, you know, talking about the nuance and, and learning the nuance. I actually don't know how many hunters... Even like, you know, if you weren't putting in for this hunt, I don't know how many hunters in the state of Wyoming actually knew the level of regulation that was going into this. 100%. And, and it's that idea of like, you know, 
we we knew this was going to be controversial. Um, Game and Fish worked really hard to put deep parameters on this that was going to make it as ethical and as as efficient and as needed as it was. And we neglected as a population of hunters to step in and read the regulations and communicate about them. And the other side is I would say that the non-hunting crowd equally neglected to even understand that there was regulations. Mm -hmm. 100%. Um, and, and some of that's on the honors of the press. Some of that is that nobody corrected them when they said, Wyoming plans to slaughter 22 grizzlies. That was the first headline that came out about this hunt. Um, and, and rather than the sort of quiet pushback from hunters that said, no, 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 like, let's have a conversation about this. You then got the Facebook posts with the flipping off hands and kill them all and everything else like that. And um, of course that just goes to reinforce the non-hunters opinion. Mm -hmm. um, it's and, almost our position, right? It's the position of the hunting community. We live in a closet. We close the closet door. Please don't open the closet. Uh, and if you do open the closet and punch us in the nose, we just come boiling out. And, and as you said, we, we, we come from a position of being very defensive, very reactive, versus looking at all these regulations and putting them into people's hands and saying, talk about them. Talk about you know, the measures we put yeah. in place. One of the most surprising things you as a hunter can tell a non-hunter is, you know what? I agree. And I respect that you care about animals. It, like, how do you, that just changes the conversation right out of the thing of like, man, you know, I'd, I'd rather live in a world with a bunch of people that are anti-hunting because they care about wildlife than a world that people that don't give a shit at all. Like, mm -hmm. I, I would rather have that world. And as a hunter and I would rather have people that have maybe misguided care because they care so deeply, because at least they're willing to care. And that takes effort. Um, and so coming at it from a place of respect in the sense of like, listen, like we may have differing opinions, but we both care about this animal. And, and why don't you let me tell you a little bit about how much we care? Here's what the regulations say so that we do this right. And so that we don't mess this up because we understand that they're like, the whole point of this is to keep grizzly bears on the landscape. Um, 100%. And, and so this whole 22 rolled out and, you know, maybe in hindsight doing the maximum amount of what would have been allowable as far as the population dynamic was maybe setting us up for a little more pushback. I don't know that having lessened that number, it would have changed things. Um, no. And, and, you know, I always hesitate to like say like, well, we changed it based on emotion versus saying the science said 22. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I would, I would be very cautious to say that like we would, should take less because the emotional uh, pushback was there. I would say that we should still stick with 22, but we should have done a better job about communicating about it. Um, and so 22 you could put in for this. It was a lottery poll. Um, I think it was $6,000 uh, yeah, for non -resident. a non-resident. And yep. it was about 600, I think, for a resident. Um, and and the point of this was, and, and here's where it maybe gets a little controversial. You know, a lot of the questions like, why have a hunt at all? Like, what's the point of having the hunt? And, and how does science talk about hunting being a tool for grizzly bear management? And then you get into the conversation of, of, we have a lot of bears, we have 
a very thin, if even non-existent now, political and social appetite for having bears right now because people are fed up with it. Um, mm -hmm. A hunt is going to give the people that are living on the ground with grizzlies a little bit of bandwidth to have something to do with that frustration. And I'm not saying they're going to go out and kill grizzlies because they're frustrated. It's saying that they are going to feel like a small thing is being done to hear some of their mm -hmm. uh, maybe grievances with what it's like to live with a large predator on the landscape. A lot of this is agriculture areas that are dealing with significant right. grizzly, grizzly bear mortality to their livestock. Mm -hmm. it's, you don't get rich ranching anymore. It is a paycheck to paycheck. It is a season to season kind of gig. And, and it's not just that, you know, we'll move out and figure something else out. It's that these are people that are fifth generation ranchers in Wyoming. They have kids to feed. They want to send them to college. They care about bears, but they're going out and seeing calves eaten or sheep eaten. And it's hard. It's really hard to have empathy uh, for an animal you're in competition with for food and livelihood. That being yep, said, um, a hunt can help alleviate some of that in the sense of that if we remove a problem bear through a hunt, which, you know, they a lot of people, if you're going to be hunting bears, you're going to be hunting bears that are closer to humanity. You're not going to be, very few folks would be hoofing it deep into the wilderness to hunt bears. Um, so you're going to be hitting the bears that are maybe a little more acclimated to humans. Uh, you're going to be removing them from the population. Um, and this isn't going to, I think one thing that people talked about a lot that I think was a very false claim on the hunt and was maybe a mistake of hunters to claim is that it would instill a fear of people and bears. A hunt isn't going to do that. Like you're killing the bear that might have an instilled fear because uh, mm -hmm. they're solitary creatures. A hunt can instill fear in animals like wolves that are pack animals that learn from each other. Mm -hmm. But unless you're killing a sow grizzly whose cubs then witness that, which is not legal, uh, mm -hmm. it's not going to be uh, sort of instantly instilling fear in the population of bears. What it might do is maybe incrementally remove the more brazen bears out of the populations, uh, but probably not to a way where you could, I would say using the like, it'll instill fear is a good clause to be for a hunt. Um, but what it's going to do is it's going to alleviate some of this pressure built that's happened around grizzly bears uh, and the people that are dealing with them in their backyards that are maybe not happy with it. And, and if we want to have right. bears, if we want to have wolves, we have to figure out how to make sure that the people that are living around them can keep them around and keep living with them. Because once the locals turn against an animal, you've lost all stability in the ability to keep that animal around. Because then you turn people into the, what we call the three S's, which is the shoot, shovel, and shut up. And that's mm -hmm. not how we want to be removing bears out of a population. We want to be For doing sure. it forward facing in a way that is based by science that is done efficiently and is not costing the state of Wyoming an arm and a leg, which is the second part of this, where we have problem bears. Now we have killed, I think nearly in 43. the 30s. Yeah. 43 grizzly bears this year. 11 over what was killed in 2020. And, and that's saying these are bears that have done the three strikes rule, which mean we have tried to relocate them twice and then they come back and get into trouble a third time. These are bears that have been killed out of self-defense because they have been charging people or 
however that has turned out. These are bears that are killed by car mortality. These are human-caused bear interactions that result in the death of a bear that has nothing to do with a hunter. And so we've already, you know, we have a population that's exploding so much um, and they're running out of room. Bears need a lot of space. And so they're starting to come into places where there's no social appetite, no political appetite, and frankly, not any good food for a grizzly bear. And they're getting into trouble because they're hungry and cramped. And they're, this hunt, removing those 22 grizzlies would have sort of done the equivalent of freeing up some space and some food so that the bears yep. that are left on the landscape are healthier. They get into trouble less and they are, there's a more harmonious existence between the people on the ground and the bears uh, on the ground 100%. as well. Yeah, well stated. Well stated. Um, it's like you said it before. It's like I've sat in all all of these grizzly bear meetings. I, I, uh, yeah, it's 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 it was incredible to sit through all of the uh, public facing meetings that the Wyoming Game and Fish Department held, and to listen oh, to the imagine. comments come through. Um, it was, it was actually, and I would also say, frankly, quite disappointing because at least the one that was held in Lander that I uh, attended here, only three hunters showed up and probably a hundred different people that were non-hunters or against the hunt showed up. And wow. if that doesn't tell you about how lazy hunters have been in engaging in their own regulations and policy, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's is no wonder any, we keep losing. Yeah. Is there any, um, just sort of to put a fine point on this and wrap it up, any consideration at this stage for a grizzly Wyoming hunt? Is it possible? Is the stay still in place from a federal government perspective? Where are we? So the bear was relisted, I think, in 2018 um, by a federal judge uh, up in Montana. And we're still working to get the bear delisted. So just for those basic breakdown. Um, when the grizzly bear remains as a threatened species on the endangered species list, it is under the management of the federal government. That doesn't mean, um, but unfortunately, the work that comes with a lot of that is still left to the Wyoming Game and Fish Department. So the state agency does a lot of the work involved, but the management is, is run by the federal government. And so there's a lot of back and forth work. Um, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is looking to delist the grizzly. They are not the ones that are saying this needs to be listed. This is a federal court decision. And so right now, as it stands, they are managed by the federal government uh, through MOUs, memorandums of understanding with the state agencies. Mm -hmm. um, and so the state agencies are who are dealing with problem bears. They are who are dealing with sort of, sort of the mortality that's happening, but it's the federal government management. We, as the state of Wyoming, have a management, um, a management scenario written out and it has been agreed on by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Everybody has sat at the table and said it's good. Um, and so if it gets delisted, part of the requirement is we had to have a management plan. Um, and we have one. It's in place. It's ready to go. The minute those bears come off, we have a way uh, to make sure that they stay as a population that is growing. And, and that was another really sort of sad communication that happened that when um, animals come off the endangered species list, that in no way means that they are stripped of protections. Mm -hmm. um, 
All it means is that the management comes from the federal government to the state agency that is managing that wildlife. And I would argue, as somebody that works in state politics, that a state agency is a much easier entity to be a part of and to be a voice that is valid in for the protections. So if you mm -hmm. are wanting to be part of the protection of grizzly bears, go to the state agency, have those discussions and see the protections that they have in place. Because the Wyoming Game and Fish Department has a very tightly written management plan that frankly, I think looks better than most of the management plans in other places. Um, and so, so it's this idea of it going from federal to state, they are still protected. Uh, the hunt, there is a may clause. So when you write statute and everything, there's two really important words to pay attention to. And it is the word shall and the word may. may. And, that, um, and that's the difference between if it said the Wyoming Game and Fish Department shall hold a grizzly bear hunt, that means they have to, regardless of what the science says. The statute doesn't say that. It says that we may hold a grizzly bear hunt. And that means that hunting can be used as a tool. It is a privilege. We can lose it. We don't have to have it, but it is a tool that can be happen that can be used. And it's a tool of neutral cost. You know, we're not going to make money selling grizzly tags. Uh, but what we are going to do is it's going to be cost neutral rather than having to go out and spend three days trapping a grizzly bear in a culvert, hiring professionals to use euthanize and, you know, take this bear across the country to relocate it. Um, so there's at least a hunt is cost neutral and not cost efficient to the agency. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, you've certainly, I know informed me i i you know i love i love learning more about stuff like this and you're the kind of person that needs to you know has the knowledge at her, at, at your fingertips essentially um so yeah i know a lot of people are going to be blown away by what you've just said um so jess thank you i apologize for it taking so long to have you on the Blood origins podcast it won't oh, be this long until we have you on again i, can I would love to yeah yeah and um yeah, I, th I think I would say thank you for being willing to uh, chat about the Grizzlies. And, and I'm sure I missed missed some points in some of it. But I guess if there's one takeaway, it's the idea of empathy for the opposing opinion is the only way that we're going to get things done in wildlife and conservation work. Mm -hmm. Well said. Well said. Well, my coffee's out. I'm sure your coffee's out too. Uh, so thank you, Jess. Sounds good. Thank you, Ravi. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.